I'm pretty sure after that we have to pray. Let's pray together. Father, many of us are familiar with prayer. Maybe we've walked with you for quite some time. And maybe we've forgotten how awesome it is that you are always there. You love us completely. And there's never a word of prayer that we can utter that you will not hear. You've promised us that if anything matters to us, it matters to you, even if it seems so minor in the grand scheme of things. You've invited us to give, us all of our, give you all of our cares because you care for us. Thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you for the friendship, as we sang earlier, that we are friends of God. And I pray that you would deepen our friendship as we all grow more and more in this, this gift of prayer you've given us for the rest of our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wondered why it's taking so long for you to grow up? To grow mature? You ever wondered that? Doesn't it seem like it takes forever to grow up in Christ? The interesting thing is that um, we have this strange idea that if we just hear the right sermon or read the right book or go to the right retreat or go to the right conference or memorize the right list or find the right scripture, we have this this nutso idea that if we just, there's there's something that's going to put us on this continually upward reach towards God. And that if we just get that right magic bullet then somehow it's going to be easy to grow up. In spite of everything we read in the scriptures, in spite of what Christian writers have written for thousands of years, in spite of our own lives, we have that unrealistic expectation of some kind of instant trajectory towards God. And the problem is, even though we know it's unrealistic up here, the problem is, We keep hoping for it, and then when it doesn't happen, we start asking, what are we doing wrong? And then we try to find something to do to fix something that never was intended to be fixed. Or we start saying, what's wrong with me? And so many of us live our spiritual lives in Christ, defeated, beating ourselves up all the time that we haven't figured it out. We haven't got the magic bullet yet. Or we go the next step beyond that and we start to wonder, is there something wrong with God? That God would expect this. Not realizing that God has never expected that we will be on this continual upward trajectory of growing mature. In fact, when we look at the examples in the scriptures and when we look throughout the scriptures and then when we listen into the spiritual writers across the centuries, the Christians who have written about the spiritual life, what we actually find out is the Christian life is this mix of starts and stops, of deep devotion and deep apathy, of starting to want to grow in holiness and then sliding back into sin. We find out that the normal Christian life is one where we are, are finding in the dailiness of life 
finding the pendulum, reaching towards God and then falling back onto ourselves, landing in God's grace and then trying to do it all on our own, receiving Christ's gift of righteousness and still having a perfectionism within us. That's the normal Christian life. It's not what we expect. And if we can get a grip on that being the normal Christian life, we can start to realize that this is just going to take time. This is not something we're going to figure out in the next month, in the next year, in the next decade. God's plan is that this Christian journey will take a lifetime of energy, of that swinging towards God and then falling back and then finding him again and being drawn forward once again. If we can come to grips with the fact that this is going to take time, we can stop beating ourselves up again for how we failed time and time and time again. Here's, so one of the, we're, we're in a different series, different, this is a different type of sermons um, this January here at Cornerstone. And don't worry, in February we'll get back to more normal sermons. Um, but in this series of sermons, we're trying to navigate the Christian journey. We're trying to get wisdom across the decades of our spiritual lives. We're trying to accept that it's okay that this takes time. It's easy to learn new facts. It's easy to intellectually comprehend something. We can do that in an instant, right? We can do that in one conversation, one book, one sermon. But if we want transformation that is deep within our souls, that we should expect to take decades. And the interesting thing is we ask ourselves what's wrong with us when very often God is exa- has us exactly where he wants us to be because we're in the pattern of how he helps us grow. So um, this week I did some more thinking about why does this, having a map of the Christian journey, why does it matter? Why should we work at this? Because this takes some work to do reflection on what the scriptures show is the real Christian journey, and it takes some work to, to look at our lives and, and actually accept this is reality. Why would we do all of that? And I came up with three reasons that I thought I'd share with you um, before we launch into the center of the sermon. Um, The first reason why navigating the Christian journey matters is because from cover to cover in the scriptures, God wants us to grow up. Not as some kind of unrealistic expectation, but he wants us to have the joys of continually growing up in him. So we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that everyone who comes to Christ is a new creation. All things are becoming new. God wants us to experience that progressive journey of all things becoming new because he wants us to be fully alive. He wants us to have an abundant life. And God knows that when we get stuck and stay stuck, we are miserable. That's not a joyful life. And that's not a life that he's going to be able to work through to accomplish his mission in the world. So the first reason that it matters that we navigate the Christian journey is because God longs for us to grow up in Christ, that we would put on the new self, put off the old self, that we would do the good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So that's the first reason why navigating the journey matters. Second reason I think that navigating and and having a lifelong map for the Christian journey matters is that without this lifelong map that says it is going to take time and it's okay that it takes time and it's going to take decades. Without that, we are imprisoned in the dot where we are right now. We orient ourselves around exactly where we are right now in the journey without an awareness 
that there is a process that's been going on. So when we, when we can find a biblical map for the journey, we can start to realize that our true self is in process. So when we look in the mirror, we don't have to look at the failure of where we are right now or what our last sin was or what our last inadequacy was or what our last shame was. We can actually look at where we are and go right now, right now and we can say, I'm not where I want to be, but neither am I where I've been. God has been working in me, and I see that he is doing this continual. So we can stop having shame and condemnation in the dot and see that God is in a process of our lifelong sanctification. And you know what? When we see that, we can remind ourselves that God is good, and our lives in him are good and rich. The dot might be tough right now, but it's okay because God is good. Then the third reason for navigating the Christian journey is so that we can join the Holy Spirit intentionally in just the right things that we need to do for just the place where we are in the Christian journey. We're not used to that, but in actuality, not every Christian practice is good at every point in the journey. For instance, we are used to the idea that, that we ought to read the Bible more. And in lots of places on the journey, that's exactly what we're supposed to do. But do you know that there are points in the journey where we're not supposed to read the Bible more, we're supposed to read it less, and we're supposed to meditate on it more. There are points in the journey when we're supposed to learn how to say our prayers to God. That's a major part of stage two in the Christian journey, learning a prayer life. But there's another point in the journey where we're supposed to shut up before God and just listen to him. And if we keep saying our prayers, then we're going to be hindering him from speaking. There are points in the journey where fasting is exactly right. There are other points when feasting is exactly right. If we can become wise in the Christian journey and understand the stages, then we can wisely join the Holy Spirit in what we need to do at the right time, at the right place. I'm going to talk a lot about that um, next week. The other side benefit to that is as we learn that for ourselves, we're also going to be able to help those who are around us, our friends and loved ones, as they're navigating the journey. We will be, be better at giving them soul care and nurture and wisdom for their journeys. All right, so last week, um, let's show the first slide. Um, I showed this slide of the, the Christian journey, and so you'll see here the stages of the journey Starting at the cross at the bottom, I can almost point to it there, okay? That's what happens when I forget my pointer. Um, so starting at the cross, new life in Christ, stage one is newfound faith. We talked about that last week, and I'll review them in the next couple slides, but I just want to see the overflow. From new life in Christ, you notice that there's a crook in the road there? That's actually on purpose, because we're going to talk about, today what we're, we're mostly focusing on is where do we predictably get stuck along the journey that God uses for our maturing. Because we tend to think that getting stuck, something's wrong with us or, or somehow with what we're doing, when in actuality, God uses times of getting stuck to move us forward into the next stage. So there's a crook in the road there because that is one of the significant places where we get stuck that we have to grow through to get to the second stage of the journey is the life of discipleship. Then we move into the life of ministry. I'll explain those in just a bit on the next slides. Then we move into the inner life journey. Then there's another crook in the road. Um, the first crook is called the first dark night of the soul. There are actually many kind of um, walls or places we get stuck in between each stage, 
but those crooks are major ones. So we're going to talk about what it is to be stuck in the first dark night of the soul. Then after the inner life journey, we come to what's the classic second dark night of the soul. We'll talk about that one. Most of you aren't there, but I want you to know that it's coming. Then when we get around that, that curve on the road, um, we move into the life of mentoring if we keep growing into the life of love, and the life of glory is when we see Jesus Christ face to face, and then together and with God, we have all eternity to explore our glory. All right, like I said, there are going to be kind of many kind of, of roadblocks along the way. We're going to talk about each of those through the journeys. Note that, um, that this is not a one-way street. We can backslide and go backwards as well as go forwards. Also, please note, because it's, it's hard to represent this in a graphic, that we don't just kind of move forward in this, this straight line we tend to kind of move forward and ebb and then kind of flow back and kind of settle into some areas. Then we move forward hopefully a little bit further in the journey and come back. That's the pattern. Some people talk about how we cycle forward, then cycle back, then cycle forward and cycle back. Just realize that it's more fluid than the, um, the graphic would do, would show. So um, oh, let me review the stages. These, I, I shared this last week, so let me have the next slide. If you weren't here, just so you get a, a picture of what the stages look like, um, faith is understood in stage one as experiencing God. That's the new believer who's met Christ at the cross. And then the add to your faith goodness, that's from um, 2 Peter chapter 1, if you missed that sermon two weeks ago. Um, and then what God does in each stage. So in the stage one, faith is understood as experiencing God as a new believer. God reorients our whole lives. And we start living in a completely different way than we lived before the cross. <coughs> In stage two, faith is understood as learning about God. That is the life of discipleship. And what God does in the life of discipleship is he grounds us. Stage three is the life of ministry. Faith is understood as working for God, and God equips us. Stage four is the inner life journey, rediscovering God in our own soul. And God actually, in stage four, he's breaking us. Next slide. Stage five, or actually the wall comes up next. Um, and that's between stages four and five, the classic dark night we'll talk about in a minute, um, the mystery of our will and God's will just confronting and meeting face to face. God in the wall, he transforms us. Stage five, if we emerge out of the wall, and by the way, the sad thing is most Christians get stuck permanently long before this. Um, my prayer for you is that you will continue, continue to grow across the decades of your Christian life. So in stage five, faith is understood. It's a life of mentoring. Faith is understood as being available to God. God uses us in new ways that we didn't realize that he would. Stage six is the life of love, and we learn sacrificial love. God transcends us. And then stage seven is the never-ending story of our never-ending glory, where God, the, the miracle of it all is that, that we walk this whole journey and then God glorifies us. At the God exalts us. We're used to worshiping him. We're used to exalting him. He flips it around and he exalts us and gives us glory. So those are the, um, the, um, the general overflow. So last week we kind of talked about those and we kind of talked about growing from one stage to the next. That's not actually how it happens and this makes sense when I say it. We grow from one stage to the next stage in the Christian journey because we grow within each stage, right? So not only can we look at the seven stages, but we could break down within each stage, and we could go as granular as we would want to within each stage. But for, for our purposes, let's think in terms of in each stage, there's an early part of the stage, a middle part of the stage, and a late part of that stage. So think about the new believer. They've just accepted Christ at the cross. 
early when, they've, when they're brand new Christians and if they're unchurched, this singing together in a group is kind of weird to them because who sings together, all right? When you're a brand new unchurched Christian, you come up with this idea of the Trinity and it kind of throws you off. You come up to the idea of the Lord's Supper. You start to realize, okay, something about the Bible matters. So early in every stage, there is kind of an orientation because you're growing to, into areas where you haven't been before, so there are new things that you're adding into your faith. And the first phase of each stage is that orientation phase. Then you get into the middle of the stage, and that's where you normalize the, the spiritual practices and the experiences of that stage. So say, take the life of discipleship, where, where people have grown from understanding faith as experiencing God to where they are actually being discipled. They are growing to follow Jesus. In the life of discipleship, in the middle stage, you become very familiar with what is the gospel. You become very familiar with not just reading the Bible, but studying the Bible. You become very familiar with, with, with a Christ-centered worldview. You start seeing politics and everything else, not through the world's lens, but through a Christ-centered lens. That's what happens in the middle of each stage. You normalize the developmental tasks and the spiritual practices for that stage. The third phase of each stage, late in each stage, and it happens in every one of them, there comes a disorientation very often. Now, some people will grow from one stage into the next just seamlessly. And I think those are the people that walk in the Spirit better and maybe listen to God more. Um, most of us get to the end of a stage and something has to shake us up. Something has to make us discontent. So we will take the energy and the risk of moving to a new part of the Christian journey where we've never been before. And the, the, I mean, new things are great, but new things are also intimidating. At each new stage, there are new spiritual practices that we're going to learn. There are going to be new ways where we understand and experience God and we understand and experience each other. And some of those are going to be awkward at first in that orientation until we become familiar in the normalization. But then in every stage, God brings us to disorientation to lead us forward to the next part of the journey. That's the fascinating thing, that God has structured time to be our friend. We want to know why it's taking so long, but God has structured spiritual growth so that it happens over time so that it goes deep and doesn't stay superficial, so that we become the kind of people who can be agents of transformation in the world because we've actually truly been transformed by the grace of God in our own souls. All right, all of that said, let me talk with you about places we could predict. If, if we knew when you became a Christian and just a little bit about your discipling, we could predict within two or three years multiple places where you are almost surely going to get stuck in the journey. I don't want you to ask yourself what's wrong at those points. I want you to ask yourself what, what is God doing next. So in stage one of the journey, new life in Christ, brand new Christian, two places where people chronically get stuck in stage one. The first place is very early in the first phase, early in stage one. Somebody steps over the line of faith and puts their trust in Christ if nobody who is further on the journey than them comes and finds them and teaches them how to grow, they just plain get stuck. It's one of the things. Babies don't know how to feed themselves. Baby Christians don't know what to do to grow. And so what happens is if people get stuck in the first phase of stage one, we call them spiritual orphans because they've been born and they don't have parents who are helping them grow. 
The sad thing about that is that's not their fault. That's the fault of the rest of us who are further in the journey not noticing where they are and not going back and saying, you know, now that you are, are, are a follower of Jesus, you need to be in a church and worshiping God every week. You know, now that you're a follower of Jesus, you need to start to learn how to pray every day in your life. If nobody comes and tells that to the brand new Christian, then they're spiritually orphaned. I had a guy in our church in, in, um, in Honduras. He said to me, after we'd done some exploring and digging around in his spiritual journey, he said to me, he says, I've realized now, I really did um, come to faith in Christ when I was 14 years old. He said, but now I'm 46. I didn't know what to do when I was 14, and I have lost more than three decades of walking with Jesus. And he said that with tears in his eyes. It is incumbent on us who are further in the journey to always find those new believers and make sure that they are being nurtured. Otherwise, they get stuck, and they can get stuck for three and four decades. All right, the second place where we chronically can get stuck in the first part of the journey is in the third phase, the disorientation phase. What happens is this. When we first come to Christ, very often we have an emotional high as we learn to experience God. We can't believe that God loves us so much. We can't believe that the world is so beautiful. We can't believe the creator of the universe actually cares about our stuff. And there's an emotional high that is a first love of God and experience of God. And that is a great place to be. It is a wonderful thing to have that elation that comes with new faith in Christ. But that's not something to build a solid spiritual life around. God will bring us times of joy throughout our lives, but early on he gives us kind of some exceedingly great joy. But then what he has to do in order to get us to move forward is he has to withdraw just a bit. So John of the Cross talked about this as the first dark night. John of the Cross in the 1500s called this the dark night of the senses where it feels like God has withdrawn because the emotional highs aren't there anymore. Now, if you don't know what's going on, if you don't have someone further in the journey coming back and say, you know what? Now that you've experienced God, it's time to become a disciple and a follower of Jesus. If you don't have that, then what you're likely to do is you're likely to try to get that feeling back. Go to a, new re- go to a retreat. Try to, try to get to uh, another sermon or maybe read a new book or have a, a new spiritual friend. Um, lots of people at this point, when they get stuck, is they think something must be wrong with my church. So they switch churches, hoping to get that, that emotional high back again. And that's not what God wants for us. What God wants for us instead is to enter into a life of discipleship so that we start to base our, our lives, our experience of God on truth and not just the emotions. The emotions are not bad, but they're a tool to lead us into truth. So we come to stage two of the journey, and that is the life of discipleship. The 12 disciples of Jesus throughout the four Gospels were in their life of discipleship. At the beginning of the Gospels, Jesus said, follow me. And then for three years, he was training them to be his followers. That's where we learn the the scriptures. That's where we learn that God really does answer prayer. That's where we learn to live life in community with one another. So early on, it's a bit strange. We don't know the Old Testament from the New Testament. By the time we're healthy in the middle of the life of discipleship, we actually understand, we have great clarity on the gospel. We have a perspective, God's perspective on the world in the middle of stage two. 
at the end of stage two, at the life of discipleship, though. And that, for, for many of us, that, that life of discipleship, that's maybe a decade that we spend there. Depending on whether you grew up in the, in the church or you came to Christ later, very often we'll spend a decade um, being trained to be followers of Jesus and faithful followers of Jesus so that we know the difference between truth and error. So we know that, that God is working in the world. These are all things that happen. That's the same things that happen for the 12 disciples in the Gospels happen for us in the life of discipleship. But towards the end of that, stage two, a place where we frequently get stuck, in the late phase, God disorients us. He makes us a little discontent with um, learning more stuff. It's like we've been learning and learning and learning. And on one hand, it feels really good to have other people pouring into our lives. On the other hand, we start thinking, is this all there is? Now, if we don't move forward in the journey into the life of ministry, what we, we, the term we use is we sit and we soak and we sour. Because if we're always bringing in, we're going to be like the Dead Sea if nothing's going out. And so what God intends for us to be established in the life of discipleship is supposed to start flowing from God into us and then through us to others. If we don't go there, we sour. And then the other thing that starts to happen if we stay stuck here is we get rigid in righteousness. We start to think that our rigidity is a sign of our our spiritual maturity. When in actuality, God doesn't want us to be rigid. He doesn't want us to be souring. He wants us to move into the next part of the journey. So we come into stage three, the life of ministry. This is where um, you have realized that God has blessed you with much. He's given you disciple makers so that you will become a disciple maker for others. So this is, I mentioned this last week, Stage three in the journey is why you figure out your spiritual gifts and your holy calling because it tells you your uniqueness in the family of God and in the mission of God. So you figure out what you, you discern and then you, you deploy and you develop your, holy, your, your spiritual gifts and your holy calling so that you can actually start to take your place in advancing the kingdom of God. In stage three is when we usually, we've, we've maybe volunteered in some ministries earlier in our Christian life, but in stage three, we're actually doing things like coming up and doing prayer testimonies, okay? Because we now know that God wants to work through us. He's not just working in us and for us, but now through us to others. And I got to tell you, initially, that's awkward. It, it, you get nervous because we're bad at everything before we're good at it. So God says, now it's time for you to advance my kingdom, and we're going to need some practice. We're going to need some time to become proficient. But by the middle of our stage three life of ministry, we actually know that God uses us. And we know how God uses us. And we wander into the world looking for opportunities for God to use us the very unique way that we have been created to make a difference in the world. Healthy stage three is just glorious, fun time. Lots of times we're, we're starting families at this point, so there's all kinds of other stresses going on. But one of the things that comes out of a healthy stage three is we actually very often start to disciple our own children. And we realize that we're the primary um, spiritual formation agents in our own little kids as they're growing up. We start to, at this point, um, really um, take, really have our, fulfill our part in what God wants to do in the world. So we figured out mercy and justice and compassion. We figured out how to, to manage our self-control, not so we don't sin, but so that we maximize our energy for Christ and the kingdom. Well, stage three has to end too, right? Because that's only halfway through the journey. The last phase of stage three 
God wants to disorient and disrupt us again for what he wants to do next. Now, most of you are in stages two and three. Um, So let me tell you what's coming ahead. A few of you are in um, stage four. Um, I, I think I would know if you were stuck in stage three, but I might not know you well enough. So most of you are healthy in stage two and stage three. Um, here's what's coming next. At the end of stage three, where you know God uses you and you know that your life is making a difference and is significant in the world, down deep inside you start to get troubled because you start to bump up against your shadow side. You start to bump up against like, like sins that are really resistant and character traits that don't want to go away. You start bumping up against your brokenness. And earlier in the journey, you can kind of, kind of ignore your brokenness and, and the struggles that you have deep in your soul because you're kind, of, you're kind of more surface. But this is where God says, okay, now that I've got you right where I want you to be, now we're going to go really, really deep. And he starts to cause us to not be all that impressed with the good that we're doing in the world. In our healthy stage three, we love the good that we're doing. Late in stage three, that starts to become a little bit empty because God wants us to pay attention to our souls. And so we, when we get caged in stage three, um, we ignore that deeper work and we try to do things bigger, better, and harder for God for the rest of our lives. Or we go back and do the detour and try to do stage two and learn and learn and learn and sit and soak and sour. If we grow, we go through that, that disillusionment and we enter into what's called the inner life journey. Stage four, seldom do we get here before our mid to late 30s. All right, just to give you, you can get there earlier, you can get there a lot later, but seldom be before our, our mid to late 30s. The inner life journey is where um, the literature says that an experience would, would indicate that's where our spiritual wholeness and our psychological brokenness come face to face. That's where God says, I want to get another level of transformation in you to get you ready for the second half of the journey to be very, very different. Because as you've heard me say before, the second half of the Christian journey is not the first half done over. It's not the first half done on steroids. Second half of the the journey of transformation in Christ, we go through almost another conversion where we come to a point in the inner life journey. And at first, the first phase of it, these questions are awkward and weird. We don't really know what to do with them. By the middle of the inner life journey, we're kind of getting familiar with the ambiguity and the questions and the uncertainty. Um, But by the end of the inner life journey, God wants us to bring us to a fuller surrender than we've ever experienced before. We've thought we were surrendering all along the journey, but at the end of the inner life journey, God brings us to the wall experience, which is John of the Cross's primary dark night of the soul. This is when God wants to empty us of ourselves completely so that we'll start over with him. And Like I said, most of you are not there yet, but when you get there, I want you to recognize it because at the wall, we're going to have to deal with our need for control. We're going to have to deal with our, that that sinful core of us that wants my will more than anything else, even over God's will. 
In order for God to lead us into a healthy and bountiful and amazing second half of the journey, we've got to get to where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said to God, knowing what was coming, not my will but yours be done. Job sat at the wall this dark night of the soul. Abraham was at the wall when God said to sacrifice the son of promise, Isaac. All right? King David sat at the wall, just wept at the wall when he lost his son by Bathsheba. Jesus was at the wall in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross. This is a normal pattern midway along the journey so that we will submit to God. And there's no bargaining at this point, by the way. All right? You'll try to bargain when you get there. We all do. We all think, well, if I tell God I'll give him this, maybe God will let me off the hook. There is no bargaining. There's no convincing. There's no, there's no kind, of, kind of beating God down to get what we want. God says, once and for all, will you let me be God in your life no matter what? Very often at that point, God asks us to give up something really significant to us. Give up some form of success. Give up some kind of, of relationship. Give up a child. Sometimes we, we lose a parent. But God is testing to see if we will give up that that is so near and dear for, to us, then God can trust that we will keep on honoring and submitting and letting him be God in our lives for the rest of our lives no matter what. All right, that's as far as we really need to get for, um, for all of us here. Um, I can, well, I can give you just really quickly um, a couple points. Um, Literature used to say that you didn't get stuck after this point in the journey. I now think that you probably do, but it's not so much that you're, you're caged as much as you have some other things to manage. So in stage five, they can, you can throw the slide up for five. Um, you, have, you have this, stage five is this life of mentoring. So once you've, you've given everything over to God, God says, now I get to be the one who decides when to use you and how to use you and where to use you. So stage five, faith is understood as being available to God. But there's a man, you have to manage a pendulum of availability to God no matter what and always looking for assignments from God to also coming back and connecting with God so that you can be deep enough to give people what they need when you swing the pendulum. Stage six, um, you have to manage a very different thing because at this point, when you get to the sacrificial love stage of the journey, seldom before 60 years old, some of you have parents or probably some of you have grandparents who are actually in stage six. Here's how you know, you know somebody's in stage six. You go to spend time with them, and you walk away, and you just are filled with life because you've been in their presence. Versus, you know, I've mentioned this before, life is sucked out of you because you've been in their presence. In stage six, it seems like what you've got to manage is a growing dependence. As you're aging, as, as Paul says, your, your, life, your outer life is wasting away, you have to manage what it is to physically age, and get ready to see Jesus face to face. And stage seven, very quickly here, um, we mentioned this before, all eternity with God and with each other, we explore the never-ending story of our never-ending glory. So what do we do with this map? I mean, because next week we're off the map now, okay? Next week we're going to look at how do we grow, looking at spiritual practices, general spiritual practices, and then designer spiritual practices. Next week I really want to give you a tool so you can figure out specific designer spiritual practices for where you are. And if you can do that right now in the journey, you'll be able to do that as you grow forward in the journey as well. So what do we do with the map and navigating the journey? I do think that with it we can be more faithful to the time that it's supposed to take for us to grow up in Christ. I think that we can 
um, I mentioned, look in the mirror and stop seeing our shame and condemnation and start seeing that the reason we're not perfect yet is because God's not finished working with us yet. We can join God to find wise spiritual practices. But I hope, too, that we can spend less energy being lost along the way and less energy kind of beating ourselves up because we feel so lost. There is wisdom of those who have gone before us. There's no reason not to take advantage and follow their example, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 10. I also hope that we can make this adjustment from instant results, spirituality, to realize time is our friend. God has structured time for us, not against us. So it's okay that we be in process. And instead of seeing what's wrong with us all the time, I hope that we'll start to see Christ is in us. And that gives us the hope of glory. God has begun a good work in every follower of Jesus. And here's the promise. The promise is because he's holy, because he's great, because he's mighty, God promises in Philippians 1.6 that he will complete the good work that has begun within us. I hope that becoming wiser and navigating the spiritual journey, we will learn to trust God more for what he is going to do and what he wants to do with us. So I'd like to close this, um, this sermon with a responsive reading. So why don't you all stand up? And um, this um, Romans chapter 8 was written by the Apostle Paul after he was frustrated with himself for not being where he thought he should be in the journey. And he came through the other side, and I just thought it'd be kind of neat to read this responsively um, with you. So, we know, Romans chapter 8, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Together? And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
it really matters far more who you are than where we are on the dot. Because what guarantees that we will grow up into Christ is who you are. And God, you have provided us everything. You have given us your Son that we might be redeemed, that we might be freed from our sins, so that we might become new creations in every way. And then you gave us your Spirit to live within us. Would you help us, Father, listen more to your Spirit in the Christian journey than we listen certainly to the world? Would you help us to listen more to your Holy Spirit than we listen to our own self-condemnation? Can you help us hear that if you are for us, nothing in all of creation can separate us from your love that we have in Christ Jesus? Thank you for this journey from glory to glory that will never, ever end. And it started when we came to Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.